Ken, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's going good. So we had an interesting conversation on uh, the Heroes Slack, and um, I loved your background, um, kind of how you pivoted into DevOps, how you you know started your your journey, uh, a lot of Rails and things in there, um, and uh, the whole idea of combining those two and um, what you've been doing lately, I thought would be good to to chat about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your journey? Yeah, I appreciate that, and thank you. So um, you know. My name is Ken Collins. I work at uh, Custom Inc. I'm a principal engineer there. I've been lucky enough to be uh, recognized by AWS as a serverless hero. And I think, uh, yeah, and in general, I've often reinvented myself. You know, I'm uh, about 12 years into programming, maybe maybe 12 to 14. And, you know, before that, I was in advertising and marketing and sort of the agency world and even was a marketing director for a short amount of time at an e-commerce company. And pretty much decided that I wanted to learn programming. And about 10 years of that, I've decided to get really good at learning the cloud. Yeah. And it's, um, we're often thinking about this too, is like, what does it mean to be an AWS developer? Mm-hmm. Right. What does that mean? You know, I'm in the cloud or reinventing my uh, career in the cloud. Right. Um, yeah. What did that mean to you? Like, how did you even pivot with that? Did you just go and sign up for AWS? And well, if you like, I, was Lambda, Lambda was nothing, right? Yeah, Not I think like Lambda 2016. was, a, well, 2014. So like, uh, if you would have asked me maybe two or three years ago, if I was good with AWS, I would have said, I have an S3 bucket. Of course I'm good with AWS. I know how to put right. things in a bucket and I'm no, no idiot, but like, um, it's, uh, it really is a lot more than that. And it, we had uh, we've had some brilliant engineers at Custom Inc. I've followed in a lot of sort of DevOps stuff. We have people like Seth Fargo and Nathan Harvey, and we had this one brilliant engineer uh, named Hunter who had done some really good work at optimizing some of our our, our workloads. You know, Custom Inc. has been in business for twenty years, and uh, there was a part of our labs functionality where you design on T-shirts that he had optimized uh, to run on serverless around twenty fifteen. And we actually had a testimonial. It's still up today on the AWS Lambda page about the cost savings and how we transitioned to that compute environment. And about like um, three years ago, one of the directors at Custom Inc. they said, "Hey Ken, you know, for a principal engineer, I think it would be really good if you looked into this Lambda thing." And I was like, "Okay, great." Like I wanted to get good at AWS, and I wanted to learn more other than just an S3 bucket or what an EC2 instance was. So I just dove head first. That's amazing. I have to say, Custom Inc. uh, will always have a a special place in my heart because when I was even thinking about tech, I had just had my daughter, it was 2015, I'm in D.C., and a bunch of the guys who worked at Custom Inc. also ran Arlington Ruby just outside of D.C., and they were so good to me. I mean, I showed up, I knew nothing. And like, it was embarrassing. <laughs> and they were so patient um, and helped me kind of get started and then guided me on where I should go to code school. So yeah, I'll always, I'll always appreciate customing. Oh, I've, I've spoken a couple of times at Arlington Ruby. That is the best Ruby group, I think, in the world. Yeah, right. I'm like, I lived, I mean, they met probably two blocks from where I was living at the time. So yeah, it was, oh, it was a great group of people. Um, I just, I love the Ruby community uh, to begin with. I mean, it's just such a, a welcoming community. So I love that. Tell me about transitioning from marketing to tech. Like, was it 
I mean, did, were skills carried over? How did, how did that feel? What was the impetus? Like, I'm very curious about that. Well, I think um, my marketing, I've always been sort of a conversion junkie, right? So yeah. at one time I ran all the SEO and SEM for an e-commerce company. And there's this feeling of like, hey, I can do something, whether, you know, with, with a little bit of advertising technology and see these results, right? And that continues into engineering, right? Like you, we have these capabilities where we can write software and immediately see this sort of like feedback loop of, of either customers using it or people, uh, you know, using the things that we write. And I think those are really connected. And I, I will say that I cannot stop thinking about marketing whenever I'm still engineering because I want yeah. to help people get that conversion junkie feeling, right? Like, oh my God, we deployed this feature and, you know, so many... That 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 was so many points of uh, business on the lift and stuff like that. Yeah, and Andy um, Andy Jassy, uh, that's his background too. Uh, oh. Was marketing, and um, there's just there's similar skill sets, especially if you're if you're working from the customer backwards, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just the ability to kind of tell that story narrative to me, it's like writing code is you're you're taking creative thought and just making it real. Right. It's kind of like what programming is. Um, so those kind of like left and right brains, I think, are super important it, through my whole career. I've always, you know, being in DevRel, whether it was, you know, uh, a new language, a new framework or a new mobile device. Um, every dev was like, how do I market this thing? How do I get users? And I'm like, you know, you're starting when you open the code and you start actually typing in your program, that should be the last thing you're doing unless you're playing around and learning, right? Like you should actually have a, a business plan and look at it like a startup and who is your customer and do you have existing customer bases and where are your customers on the web? Have, do they even have mobile? And you know how does that all integrate? So I think it does help you as a developer kind of think about all those things and, and the pieces you're bringing together. Yeah, the worst engineering is the stuff that's just written for lofty ideas, right? Like, I mean, you should always play with things and have fun and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're writing code or not writing code for something. Yes. I love that you said not writing code. <laughs> I was watching a demo the other day and I was, I was so appreciative because the, the person doing it as they were setting up these, um, it was a YAML file. So, you know, <laughs> bless him, first of all, <laughs> but as he was setting it up and, and kind of proceeding, right, exactly. Um, he was deleting previous code and I was like, oh, you so rarely see that. And it's so important. Um, yeah. so I loved that. Talk to me about DevOps and using AWS Lambda as a DevOps tool. Yeah, so I will uh, first. I would like to admit that I am a uh, a victim or a patient of DevOps. I have some observabilities. I am not the the doctor of DevOps like maybe you or some other people, but I have stories. Uh, <laughs> I like stories. And I think I, yeah, and I I think I've learned maybe a couple things, uh, but I don't know if I can uh, frame them well. And I think one of the things that's most interesting to me is that if you're coming from a company that's maybe been in business for a while, and Customic, I think we're on 21 years now then as you sort of move that company forward, you know you're going to have challenges, right? Like, so as you move from, say, com configuration management and moving things off of, say, Chef and configuring EC2 instances to containers and or serverless, uh, what does that look like? And one of the analogies I've been able to draw after a couple of years of watching this is how much it's sort of akin to software. Like in software, we had these ideas of the big rewrite, right? Like, oh my gosh, this piece of, we had to go through that at Custom Inc., like our lab, 
literally needed a rewrite and we rewrote it from something called like ext.js, which is some precursor to jQuery into its modern React counterpart that we have wow. today. And that hurts, right? Like you have to you have to spend a lot of time to do that. And I think the biggest lesson from Lambda from a DevOps perspective, as we both have sort of a Kubernetes and a serverless initiative, that Lambda is intentionally small. And if you think of Rails like as having constraints as features, mm-hmm. Lambda has the ability to mirror that. And you can you cannot take on the entire burden of the organization right, to migrating everything to Lambda. And you can use that tactically to your advantage to do very small calculated steps and allow the innovation to happen over a longer period of time to keep you from doing work that you don't need to do. I love that. It's sort of punting or experimenting in these small little chunks pretty easily um, with a low uh, or small, what I like to call a blast radius, (laughs) if something goes wrong. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And that's a pretty common, um, pretty common among our customers too, of like migrating to the cloud. If you're going to move applications, right, and you're going to start doing modern application dev, Amazon was unique. Where we basically like did a rip and replace, where we did a large chunk of all our services and basically turned them into microservices when we moved from a monolithic architecture. Um, you know, this is going back to early AWS days. You know, like yeah, um, these are bookstore days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that. I remember even seeing that on the Alexa side. It was addictive. Once devs were in Lambda, they're like, oh, I can write functions. And suddenly they were firing off functions for something not even related to voice. You know, it could be a website and they were firing off SNS notifications and doing logging and things like that. Um, it becomes just a great way, like you said, to be able to start to migrate to more of a modern architecture by just having devs write code. Mm-hmm. The tools weren't that great in the beginning. I remember having to like upload. You could like upload a zip file, or there was like an inline editor. I don't even know if it had number lines back then, too. It was, you know, not that everybody's in the in the uh, GUI anyway. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know for us the IAC is a big part of it. I remember when the Kubernetes initiative starts, right? Like I had just picked up Lambda with Sam, right? So Sam was just released when I started really getting into serverless. So I was like, okay, I'll tie my star onto that. I'll learn cloud formation. And then the Kubernetes stuff was basically like a lift and shift for EC2, right? It wasn't really reinventing the applications. And in some cases, you still don't have to do that with, say, Rails and Lambda. But like, um, it didn't change how like fire teams or, or business units would treat IAC. They didn't, right? They were just basically throwing over the wall. My workload is, was on EC2. It's now on K8s. Right. And, and Lambda sort of affords you that because it really connects you with the infrastructure as code and connects you with like everything from the IM policies to the additional resources that you may need in AWS. Like now the fire teams or the projects or the engineers can own that stuff. And that's been informing the Kubernetes stuff as well. Like we're always looking for ways to bring that IAC into other sort of container, you know, like non-native, I would say, AWS way. Um, but that's kind of awesome. So if I'm understanding, it's almost you're you're using it as a sort of interface for your infrastructure's code to sort of abstract it away. Yeah. So like um, so like let's say one of the things I'm working on next is like so if you have your Rails app in a Lambda project, then you can say if I need an S3 bucket, let me just go ahead and type in a few lines of YAML and hit deploy, and they will have it right. So we've built all the capabilities in our deploy price uh, pipelines with say GitHub Actions. But still, you know, if you're on the K8 side of things with our engineering team, you'll have to file a web ops ticket and the web ops team will have to make your bucket for you. 
So there's this DevOps process in place to where I've strategically used the CICD pipelines as a capability unlock for IAC. But then now, how do you bring that to Kubernetes, right? So there's another level where we'll start looking into how you can, say, um, use Terraform within the Kubernetes side to say, let me own these resources. Because if you can imagine, yeah. 20 years in business, we have a lot of AWS resources. And yeah. there's only two technologies that I know, CDK and or Terraform, that allow you to assume the responsibility for an existing resource. CloudFormation doesn't do that. It can only create resources for you and then own them at that point. So like uh, we're going to take the, it's this idea that I set up where it's like, we call it the Lambda deploy user or the Lambda pipeline, mm -hmm. but I've been not referring to that lately. I've been calling it the capability pipeline. Right? I love that. And, and then basically it's sort of like uh, you're sneaking it into the organization of like, okay, engineers can do this with Lambda. They can own these resources. They can create DynamoDB tables. They can create this host of AWS resources that are now managed at the project level. And then you turn it on its head and you implement IAC for the K8s teams using that capability pipeline, DevOps. Amazing. Can we talk about how containers and um, serverless get grouped together a lot, but that there's a Venn diagram? <laughs> I, I consistently hear these two things <laughs> put together and I'm like... Kind of like I mean I know they're they're like buddies you know they work together in ecosystem but there are differences. So you said containers and serverless. Serverless. Yeah, that is a really good question. I think right? one of the ways that I like to think about it is that like so if you think of a, a traditional Rails application, you put it in a container. If you're thinking from a Kubernetes point of view, you're going to be thinking the same way that you would with a EC2 instance. You're going to say, hey. Here's my Rails application. Here's my web server that needs n number of processes. And that one container is going to be handling n number amount of concurrent requests. With Lambda and with Lambda containers, the web request or the workload is tied to one-on-one. -on -one. So think of, think of containers as boulders. Think of Lambda as sand, right? So you have this very granular scalability to where there's no such thing as one Lambda handling more than one request at a time. Yeah. So, so you can you can remove things that make the process of how to manage your Kubernetes workload or your container workload by thinking about this box of how much memory do I have, mm -hmm. and you can break it down to one discrete work unit, and it just makes it easier to think about. So you, just rocks and sand. You need to write that down. I think that's brilliant. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that was one of the things for me. Like I had never thought about milliseconds of CPU time before I wrote a Lambda function. Like I didn't have to worry about that when I had an instance running other than, you know, I had some type of event monitoring to make sure my CPU utilization was within a certain range. Right. But suddenly it was like, oh, I'm getting billed down, you know, at the time, I think it was a hundred milliseconds. Uh, I never had to worry about that as a developer. And like, then you're like, well, what does it mean if I take a larger instance because it can finish it in faster mm -hmm. milliseconds, even though it looks like it's more money to pay up front, right? Before that, it was like, oh, I go for the cheapest one, of course. Just give me that tiny little EC2 instance, right? And then suddenly, that's not the case with Lambda. Right, um, yeah, I've got lots of good know, examples like that. to where like, increasing the memory in the CPU means it gets done faster, which means it's cheaper. Yep, yeah, it blew me away. <laughs> and so I like that sand versus, um, oh gosh, Boulders. I have such a bad memory. Boulders, yeah, <laughs> that's a really good analogy. Do you think developers should be thinking about that? As much as I, you know, 
at surface level, of course, we need to be thinking about all these things. But that is a a lot of, there's just so much to think about when you're writing code, (laughs) you know, beyond just writing the code, costs and security, testing, maintainability, like all of it, it's overwhelming. Yeah, the thing I really like about Lambda from container-based perspective is that, you know, we've got, I've, I've got a lot of examples I could just show this, right? But like, it's so much easier to think about. You've got one knob and that knob controls the virtual CPUs and the amount of memory. And you throw your app into something like New Relic and you look at your P95s and your P99s and it's easy to see when you tune that one knob that go up or down. And, you know, when you're doing with Kubernetes, you got to think of a lot of different things to orchestrate, which the engineers should, they do, right? But like, um, I would much rather turn one knob on Lambda than 15 or 20 on Kubernetes any day. Absolutely. Um, If containers are boulders and Lambda is sand, what is Fargate? (laughs) Are they the cigarette butts in the sand in Virginia Beach that Emily talked about? (laughs) (laughs) We need to fill so I grew up in being memes. We need memes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I mean I grew up in Nova and the two beaches, it's Ocean City, Maryland, and Virginia Beach. And Virginia Beach in the 90s was an ashtray. I mean, there were cigarette butts <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. No, but let's just Fargate's amazing. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's not the I don't know. It's gotta be something else, right? Maybe it's a sandcastle. I'm not sure. <laughs> sandcastle. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you um are you bullish on rails you know i i it's my favorite community i'm a ruby girl but i also you know i i every once in a while i feel i hear things about well it's you know it's dying right so all i remind myself is i have a counterpart in the serverless hero world who does the uh the laravel and php framework yes php still drives the internet yes. right so yeah. uh uh Rails is not dead. PHP is not dead. I love Rails. I love putting it into Lambda and finding the edges and working with it. Uh, but I'm not dogmatic that I would not choose the right tool for the right job, right? I started off my Lambda career in Node apps and Express apps and things like that. Uh, so I, uh, I'm always going to use the right tool for the right job. I did one. I did a, a showdown one time on trying to figure out if libvips, which is an image processor, works faster in Node versus Ruby you know, and Ruby's bindings to the foreign function interface, slow it down by a hundred milliseconds. So node's the right language for that, yeah. right? Like you should always be uh, open. Yeah, and, I love that. Yeah. But I love Rails. It's so easy. It does things. And I think there's an opportunity within Lambda to take the existing tools that we have, put them inside of Lambda. And that's the Trojan horse for DevOps to get the engineers to learn the tooling underneath, right? So if you can get them in there, any way you can, right? I, I could care less what it is. If it's PHP, if it's if it's Rails, get the Lambda experience down because I've put big bets on Lambda. I think it's still going to be paying off two, four, or five years from now. Yeah, that's awesome. I how do you find like the Rails support throughout all of AWS, not just Lambda and services? And it's one of the things my my team's been thinking about a lot is, you know, meeting developers where they are. What kind of access to materials are you getting from AWS? Are we doing enough, um, you know, to be fully self-critical? I don't think that we've got the, you know, as it's not as even across all different languages, um, the ability to pull that in from a community. Um, you know, for example, when you look at the CDK community and you see everything they're doing with patterns and it, it's just, you know, it, it's 
way beyond what we could actually offer through our documentation and everything that you're getting, uh, even what we have up on Git? It's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, I've been doing open source for a while. I did all the open source stuff for Rails and Active Record and SQL Server. And, you know, there are people out there that can rally communities a lot better than I can, right? And and I am in awe of them and I want to learn how to do that well. Uh, there are uh, engineers that have rallied around CDK and other tools. And I'm just, you know, like, or the Amplify team, just in awe, right? I don't know how to do that well. Uh, and I, I want to get better at that. I'm thankful for attending, you know, podcasts like this, but like there are, um, it's, it's hard building communities and it's not one of my strong points. Uh, but like, I, I want to try to do a lot better at that and, uh, and just foster that innovation from the edges. Yeah. I find for me, community's always been about like what I can do to help. I've always been this kid when I was younger, um, whatever new tech I would get so excited and I would go and try and explain it. Like I would try and tell my mom and dad and they'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're like, this is a floppy disk, you know? Um, <laughs> so it was always about that. Like I just assume I'm the dumbest person in the room and just try and share everything that I can. And it's amazing today. Just anybody can have a voice, but, and like, I know that you've been writing, like you are sharing. I think you're being a little humble Absolutely. here. I know under the heroes badge, you've been sharing a bunch of stuff on just two years of working with rails on Lambda. Um, right. And some of the stats, you know, when I was looking at it of people that are just, you know, that are looking at it and the kind of scale of what you're doing, can you talk a little bit about that and, and where yeah. developers can find that? Yeah. So I author a gem called Lambie, which is a, basically a rack adapter that connects API gateway uh, application load balancers, uh, REST API or HTTP API. And it basically, it's a it's a really amazing gem, but at the end of the day, it converts one Ruby hash to another Ruby hash and just sends it to your application. Um, <laughs> I, love I love how simple, yeah, it's totally, I just convert a hash and I made a product. And yeah. uh, uh, I'll fail your whiteboard interviewing test, but I can make a hash. So like, so it's, um. It's it basically connects Rails as a rack application natively to AWS, and uh, you can learn about that. It's lambi.customink.tech.com, and uh, uh, I've been you know I'm thankful for Custom Inc. You know, as a principal engineer, they afford me opportunities to sort of like uh, work across different teams and parts of the business and explore ideas like this. So uh, props out to them for allowing me to do this work and and as much time as free time as I have to sort of dedicate to the community. I just write blog content. I author this stuff. I listen to people. Uh, I go in these cycles to where I solve a lot of problems for custom ink. And then I dip back down into the open source and share it. And then I come back up and it's this, uh, it's this lovely reciprocating cycle. That's a fantastic cycle. I think, cause it, it allows you better insight into how, how things are going, where the community is, you know, new sort of avenues of tech. Um, I think it's really healthy for right. all of us to have that. The best thing about that is like, you're, you're doing an internet search years later for something and you come across a cool blog post and you're like, oh, that was me. <laughs> I totally forgot that entire thing, but it's pretty helpful. Kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. a journal, right. Of writing down your knowledge. It's I, I find like that all the time of things, especially well, if I haven't touched a language in forever. Yeah. And I'm very clear to people when I, when I do talks or conferences, I'm like, look, you know, I'm not up here selling you something that I think you should buy, right? You should be hypercritical of the things that I do that works for me and works for, for my company. 
But I also am coming from a place that's not theoretical, right? Like, let's write hello world in Lambda. You know, I've got half a half a billion uh, transactions and functions executions on Rails a month, right? That I can give you really good data about. So I'm bringing you a story that's that's worked for us. If you like it, if it works for you, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's that's fine too, right? Um, but I, I like bringing the real world experience and. I think that's super important because there's a, I think there's a gap between beginner content where you do have this really simple uh, problems to solve and then you get into advanced content and, and there's a gap between those two pieces. And it's like, well, how do I get from hello world to like a simple application? Somebody help me. So I think that's yes, fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. Where can people find you on Twitter and the interwebs? So typically, I think I got Metaskills everywhere. So Ken at Metaskills.net for my email. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter as just Metaskills. And, uh, you know, there's a Custom Ink Technology uh, Twitter account, which is Custom Ink Tech. Um, and then again, the Lambie website is pretty easy to find, just lambie.custominktech.com. You're awesome. It's been such a pleasure having you on here. Thank you for joining us. Emily, Dave, thank you so much. I've had a really, really good time. Good. Thank you, Ken. Thank you.